the fact we're all EMP guys and not power guys is showing itself. It's always, it's always a unit. It's, it's always, always a, the How unit. much is it in barrels? Yeah, exactly. Mm. BOEs. I could do show, that all day long. Show me where I can divide by 5.8. Exactly. So last weekend. Are we on? Went to Vegas. Well, no, it's rolling. It is? We, yeah. we don't do the cheesy drum beat and. Yeah, that's that's old news. I like the old drum beat. Though. Well, let's do it. We should stop doing this. <laughs> All right. So last weekend, took the eldest to Vegas. That's what she wanted for her twenty-first birthday. The girlfriend was like, "Oh, y'all should go eat dinner here. Go see a show here. Go get a special drink there." Nope. Been playing online poker. All she wanted to do was go play poker. I'm like, okay. Wait, so what's her age? Twenty one. Okay. Turns right. twenty one. This is what she wants. So we show up. So since you took her, she wanted to play high stakes poker. Exactly. She needed the bank, I think, is why I was there. But anyway, so dad's hope for this trip is lose a lot of money, long run, cheap lesson, get rid of the potential degenerate gambler that I am raising. So we get there, Friday night, big steak, nice bottle of wine. We go play cash games, boom. She loses a lot of money. I'm like, great. Next night, tournament at the Encore. I finished 12th, of course, top 11 pay. But anyway, she finished 10th. So she got paid at a tournament. She's feeling a little better. Loses all that money and then more playing cash games that night. I am so pumped up. Dad, I never want to come back to Vegas. This is horrible. I hate it. She hits a $2,200 slot on the flight home in the airport. He's texting me every day, Dad, when are we going, going back? Going back. Yeah. So you just screwed yourself. Uh, we screwed ourselves. So hey, real quick, let me do a public service announcement. October 30th, 31st, we have our Fuse conference coming up. It's going to be at 713 Music Center in downtown Houston. Fuse is our South by Southwest of energy technology. The key is hey, if you make energy in any way, oil and gas, renewables, et cetera show up if you move it in any sort of way pipelines transmissions whatever show up if you consume it in any sort of way data center whatever show up let's check egos at the door let's talk about technology and how we're going to do this and i hear the new OctoQ, the ev charging company for apartments and condos are going to be showing off their new tech nice so do we have a designated speaker from the company <laughs> Maybe, uh, maybe I'll, uh, I'm working on that. Well, you know, what's so funny is you're like listed <laughs> above me in terms of the speakers there and they haven't told me how's that, I'm how's that speaking, happen? but I don't know. At least you're hard. listed. The first, yeah, you're will be not last on the list. And the last will be first. Why don't you give us some of the headliners who are on the list? There Jack? we go. John Arnold's going to be there. Legendary Enron trader, uh, will be there. Uh, Bobby Tudor's giving the other keynote and Bobby Tudor was a long time. Goldman Banker and then founder and CEO of Tudor Pickering Holt until I think Maynard joined, right? Or was Bobby always chairman? Bobby was always chairman. Bobby I, was I believe. I okay. was much later. There you go. So anyway, and the stuff we talk about at this conference is fascinating. We'll go every we'll do panels on cloud tech to intelligent mm. wellbore design to geothermal to scaling renewables. I always thought that was the coolest thing from last year's Fuse conference as a uh, solar guy came up to me and said, Chuck, I need to meet an oil and gas guy. <laughs> and I'm like, 
what are you talking about? And said, well, I just need to meet one. We need to talk scaling because I, you know, nobody scaled an oil and gas, uh, scaled a business like oil and gas. So lo and behold, I introduced him to a CEO of an oil and gas company, and I would give anything to have that hour and a half recorded because it was fascinating. It was like literally down to how do you deal with employee drug testing issues and just all the stuff you don't even think about when you're trying to scale a business. I don't think they drug test anymore. They may not, but it, we talked about it. Uh, yeah, it, it seems to have at least faded to the background, which gives you a little pause, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think- I think I read something about a pilot who had uh, had a few lines of cocaine and then attempted to fly a plane, and Ooh. then he got he got nailed by someone he had texted, one of his colleagues he had texted, who kind of headed off that disaster. I have to look up the details of that story. Yeah. Probably a Malaysian-based <laughs> company. I still want to find that plane. I do. I still want to That's find that That's the question. Plane. All right, Kirk, your favorite mm. subject. Why don't you kick us off? Oh, my gosh. So We're this back is great. Here again. So my favorite CEO, YL, who, who took over your Shell. Your yeah, dude. I mean, I said, look. Hey, should... the key to successful name dropping is always make him sound like the best friend. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, he's totally my best. <laughs> there you go. YL CEO, he's been on seat, you know, less than a year. Uh, there's an internal yammer, which I think sucks. Like that platform oh. is so bad. However, we had, two, that, in, we had that in 2002. It's so bad. But two, uh, well, Shell has it. It tells you what you need to know. But, but two Shell executives from the renewable, now called low carbon division, they basically pen a letter on the internal platform, gets picked up um, by Reuters, uh, over 80,000 people viewed it. A thousand people liked it, which created an internal dialogue. And basically the letter, internal letter said, Hey, YL, you know, we're worried because you're basically going sort of against the low carbon strategy that Shell had before you became CEO. And we're worried about our jobs and we're worried about the direction of the company. And this came after YL and others spoke, uh, uh, on their their investor day, because Weil is actually trying to put the company on a path to greater profitability, greater uh, dividend returns, um, and increase their multiple, which is something we've talked about before. So this created a uh, a shitstorm internally, and now is is public. So it's incredible. How many of those eighty thousand likes were shareholders? It was all internal employees. Yeah, exactly. Well, so all, so all of them. Yeah, one hundred percent. And so, how does the the thing that was fascinating to me about this article is I totally get kind of the evangelical nature of the letter. You know, of oh, we have to say I, I get that. I like can understand that. I can understand kind of the fervor around it. But how is it pressure? I mean, is he not running the show? Is there internal dissent there that this fed it's a European, the fire to? Number or? one, it's a European company. So okay. so it's more committee-led than, like, it's not the powerful CEO, American CEO. It's a little bit I, a little I, bit. Subtle. I always thought of Shell, especially when they had two locations in Europe, <laughs> as a weaker federalist, at least weaker from a central centralized top-down authority and decision-making. I always thought of Shell as being more federalist. 
This is true. Weil, though, is very influential, and he's CEO. However, this is a company that has HR on the executive committee. So it's an important role. So people are important to Shell. Um, and if 80,000 people or 1,000 people liked it, 80,000 people read it, doesn't mean they agree. Now, here's the age-old question that I've had with others before, is you need to be able to separate your hat as an employee and as a shareholder, because those are two different things. I think what I, when I read the letter, it basically, in my opinion, was I am a, an employee and I'm worried about my job. I didn't read it as I'm in a concerned shareholder, because I think what YL is trying to do is saying, hey, we belong next to companies like ExxonMobil. We have great capital discipline, which is exactly what YL is trying to do. Employees don't like it, though. Interesting. And, and I think that has a lot to do with really the corporate culture and societal differences between the different locations of Exxon being here in the U.S. and Shell being domiciled in Europe. Absolutely. Stating the obvious. But that that's, you know, I I don't know anyone – within those companies who is incentivized or has a significant amount of their comp tied up in non-cash type of things, in other words, company stock that wouldn't want the stock to perform better. And that's, you know, that that's no different than what the external constituents and shareholders are telling Weil and others more loudly that this is what we want, kind of slow the roll on these investments that we can't see line of sight generating competitive return on capital employed. And the only, the only area where I think is there's some at odds is, is these people, not all of them have locked in pensions, or at least they, they want to continue to have that pension grow. They want to keep their job first, stock price second. So there is definitely um, that, that, that concern that I, that I see, but I can't believe, like I wouldn't have written the letter. And the first time I met YL, I had an honest, you know, conversation about what I did for the company and whether it was valuable. And I said, well, I'm not going to tell you what I said, but, but, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of these people are afraid to speak in terms that doesn't put themselves in front in the forefront versus what is best as a shareholder. Cause it really is owned by the shareholder. Well, it's, it's the difference between what is described in political circles is uh, between the owner class and the managerial class. Always right? a fight. And Even when you're, you're, when you're looking at highly compensated individuals in oil and gas, mm -hmm. pays very well uh, for career professionals. Um, the, the notion that, that that guaranteed income, so to speak, is at risk is, is something that causes an inward look and self-preservation instincts to kick in. So. I think it was Rodney Dangerfield back to school when he was in class taking the, the business class. And he goes, when you were out there, while you were in here studying about your ethics, I was out busting my hump in the real world. And it always just gets to me that portions of the company are like bashing the portion that actually pro provides the wherewithal for them to have a job. So that's the point you know, that I made. There needs to be a recognition. Of that's that. the point I made with YL. It's like wh whoever actually is generating the cash and paying the rest of us, they should probably have the biggest voice. Yeah, they should, they but these are people that have, they're not making money and they're the loudest voice right now. But, but in some ways that has been Europe. I mean, as we saw, 
we briefly spoke about this earlier, but Ireland just canceled an LNG terminal because it's against their climate goals. And it was the Irish, uh, um, the Irish power grid that, that two years ago said, hey, over the next five years, if it's a cold winter, we're screwed. We're not going to have enough power. So Ireland's saying, hey, we don't want any more gas. We want renewables, but they don't have enough renewables if there is a cold, bitter winter. So there's interesting dynamics at foot here, and we should be watching Shell over the next month to see what happens. Yeah, and, and we saw a more recent example of that uh, than two years ago. Just last winter in preparation or in advance of last winter, the Germans were scrambling to to put together floating LNG, and we all know what happened with you know their coal ramp up as well. So, um, you know, part of the inertia that's in LNG is due to just uncertainties contractually and what you know ultimate decision making and approval for uh, terminals is going to be. Uh, but we need to get started, and I think you know we we've got another item on here that's certainly related. Last week, Saudi announced its first international LNG investment. You know, the world's going to continue to press forward with LNG and natural gas as a player in the su sustainable portfolio of fuel and energy. So, you know, the Saudis are very loudly once again saying and doing things. Don't don't listen to what I say. Watch what I do. Saying and doing things that are, I think, flying in the face of the narrative that folks like the IEA are are certainly putting out there in in very long form, right? So, yeah, Chuck. No, no I, I mean I don't know what to say. Almost at this point, in terms of us talking about this, I do think one of the things, and we've kind of teased this on the show. So I'll go ahead and just say we're going to do it, and let's say we will do it by Thanksgiving. We actually need to go around this table and we'll make sure Colin's prostate's healthy so that he can join <laughs> us. But we need to go through position by position, various things, and in effect, give a roadmap of potentially how you handle a, a reasonable trans, transition, <laughs> if you will, instead of the, hey, we're just going to stop using fossil fuels tomorrow. Because that is part of the issue is you do have to give kind of the other side um, because it makes no sense not to use LNG because incrementally it is a lot better than coal. Uh, but at the same time, if we don't have some sort of an input, an end point, then it just comes off like we're cranky old men from the Muppets sitting up in the, uh, the balcony. So we need a position is what you're saying. Yeah, we need, so it's, we it's, need it's kind of, it's kind of thematic with, the coming election year, we put together planks and poly policy positions. And if it, it's somewhat akin to what we did in, in speed round with the energy draft right. podcast a couple of years ago. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And there we go. All right. Cause I mean, at the, at the, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, and I, I do think we have to put the framework over it that we've talked about a lot on here is there's only so much money out there and China and India are doing what they are doing, you know, and we've just got to account for that. And so where do we best spend our dollars and, and how do we potentially get there? It reminds me of a, uh, of, of a, of a clip video I saw when, when 
when Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger were talking and they're like, you know why we're so rich? Because there's a lot of stupid investors out there. <laughs> um, I think we're sort of falling to this trap here. There's a lot of people making decisions, but you watch the Saudis, you watch the, the YLs, the shells, you're seeing people, you watch China, you're seeing people that are positioning themselves to win the long run with cheap energy. I mean, it's all about cost. I mean, people, inflation's gone out. Renewable stocks are da way down. Um, people are frustrated. I mean, you even have in California, which is an interesting story, but PG&E uh, CEO Patty Pope is, is trying to spend $6 billion to bury all the power lines to prevent wildfires. But regulators are about to kibosh it because they're saying it's going to cost so much money that we're already the most expensive state in the union. People can't afford it. What's interesting is the CEO of the largest regulated utility is not thinking about the cost to people. She's like, hey, if I can cram all this money, I get paid. I mean, utilities make money by um, spending more money. So right. increase the rate base. It's just, rate so, base. It's, just, it's just so lack of, uh, man, lack of uh, insight. It's amazing. Yeah, and that's that's... To your point, Chuck, what what gets us over the hump or across the bridge with you know things like natural gas to whatever else is next, right? It's it's what does all this cost, and who pays for it? Yeah, and there's only so much of that. And at the end of the day, none of us can foresee the future, so we kind of got to make our best bets along the way, right? And yeah, because that kind of rolls into the the next. We, we we have a lot of non-elected leaders and voices that are casually throwing around, borderline demanding that the world, or the responsible world, meaning responsible for, um, the damage that's been inflicted, the alleged damage that's been inflicted, to spend trillions of dollars that certainly people would be very hard pressed to absorb. Right, yeah. given what's going on here recently with inflation, et cetera. But that's that's the other thing in this is that we need, as Doomberg says, thermodynamics is a ruthless referee, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we need, and we've we've talked about this before. We need uh, we need more technical and science perspective at the table, figuring all this out. Yeah, as 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 well as just a reasonable view of humanity that a life lost today because of higher energy prices or lack of energy or lack of fertilizer to grow food is just as bad as a life lost potentially 75 years from now because the planet's a degree and a half warmer so we need we need that perspective too all right so you heard it right here on bde we've committed to actually doing this before thanksgiving we'll come back to you guys with a date but this kind of rolls into the next point that we talked about last week. You know, the prime minister of uh, the United Kingdom came out and said, hey, we're going to push back the, the banning of the internal combustion wow. engine till 2035 instead of 2030. And basically said that's going to be too much of a hardship on the average, per, uh, average uh, citizen if we get rid of internal combustion engines, so we're going to push it back five years. And, you know, 
I think that rolls into what we're, we talked, Colin and I talked that last week. That's rolling into this, the F-150. What's going on with those? Well, there's, there's rumors of not, not yet confirmed. There's rumors that there are order cancellations kind of sweeping across the, the, um, the dealer network. And, you know, it, it, it kind of goes hand in glove with what we've talked about previously as well in terms of dealers having to handle and increasingly deal with um, burgeoning or bloating EV inventory, right? So uh, Lightning is a very high-profile, I think, um, it's really a flagship vehicle for Ford's Ford's EV aspirations and to run into, I think, what is what one of our colleagues has recently experienced in terms of things like fast charger availability and range anxiety and the fact that, you know, the, the, the vehicle is at a price point that is yet still unattainable by many is showing up and, you know, in uh, building inventory and you know a, a softer market than I think was was anticipated. Yeah, I know, Dad's. In addition to kind of your range anxiety, finding charger infrastructure, Dad has the Mustang, the Mach, mm-hmm. uh, the electric, and you know, Dad's buys technology the first day it comes out and then never upgrades. We still have the first VCR ever made in the United States at the Yates house somewhere, probably playing Caddyshack. Do you know how, how valuable VH tape, VHS tapes are now? It's well, amazing. That, 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 that may be. As long as you have the right, is. you know, the right, uh, might, movies on there. Might be there, but you know, dad's, dad's had a, uh, a piece go out on the, uh, on the charger at a uh, home and just can't get it replaced. I mean, they've got yeah. that big backlogs and in terms of all that. And so, I mean, they're having real issues. They're wildly unprofitable. They're actually, performance isn't living up. You know, they're figuring out when you're towing a bunch of stuff, range gets cut in half and, and all the rumors. So th- this isn't surprising. You know, I've been thinking about this. You know, we, we the original research that came out was based on technology that once a technology gets about 7% adoption in a, in a, in a market in the U.S., for example, the it's a step function growth in that technology. It's the S-curve. It's the S-curve. Now that's based on things like XM radio and- Software. Software. Refrigerators. But these are, you know, $80,000 technology pieces. So it's a very different scale. My question is, are, if the Ford Lightning, it's a rumor, but we heard about a battery, there's a battery plant, Mark, that you could talk about. Is this a hiccup or is this a, wait a minute, we've, we sort of, Went out of the gate too soon. Let's restep. Is this a restart? Well, this is a Ford plant. I just saw the headline hitting the brakes on a three and a half billion dollar battery plant investment in Michigan. All these things are, I think, ultimately related, right? It's just the timeline over which all this gets put together and works. You know, we used to say everybody can hold their breath underwater for a minute. Let's see who can do it for 10. Right. And Ford being very public in disclosing what the financial reality is of its EV division, I think I think we talked about it a few shows ago. They're they're projected to lose three billion dollars this year. 
Brian Sullivan, CNBC, tweeted out this morning on Rivian. Um, I saw one data point in there. Rivian is losing $33,000 per SUV. That's it? <laughs> you don't understand the internet, Mark. Right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this just- is this is the intersection, the unique intersection of the digital world that has that S-curve history, the step change history after that penetration, and the very nasty physics or physical world-based reality. I'm with you. Building cars is hard, right? Hardware is hard. scale and cost effectively. Hey, quick question. I see on my screen up there, there's a big uh, mute button. Does that mean I'm not on? That's that's a hint. <laughs> no, I think I think we're all right. I think that just flashes like that periodically. All right. Okay. So. Let's keep going. There we so, go. So is it a hiccup or is it a, a restart? You're saying, I think, from what reading between the lines, Mark, it's a restart, maybe. Well, the weird thing about this is if this were the free markets, and say what you want about the dot-com bubble, that was pretty big free market. I mean, this is the IRA not mandating, but strongly suggesting that EVs are the wave of the future. And so I just don't know how to think I mean, through the future with that big hammer. Okay, so, so more, false- more, sim- more simply in, you know, autos, which is a big industry and it's critical industry, are big tax incentives a sustainable business model in a free market where there's not policy mandate and there's consumer choice? If you look back to the history mm-hmm. of cafe standards over mm-hmm. 30 years, we we made very modest improvements in ice fuel efficiency because American consumers traded up for larger SUVs and better performance, bigger, more horsepower, more torque. And so that's, you know, that's the demand side. That's the behavior side that is now more increasingly talked about. You know, one, one of the pieces about um, the, uh, the IEA report I didn't see it. I saw Javier Bloss tweeted about it. He said one of the more interesting things was this uh, suggestion, proposal, uh, idea, scenario that we ban uh, cars, diesel and gasoline cars, private vehicles in big cities by 2035. Listen, and and one of the replies to that was, I don't know who replied, but this is kind of a, uh, it was a, a German client activist said, okay, well, those that have a car for traveling longer journeys outside of the city during leisure time, how will they, quote unquote, be dealt with? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Let me ask y'all a question. Look, I don't give a fuck about the IEA. Who cares what they say? Right. What we should be, and what I think our audience cares most about, is that they care what we're seeing real people, people that have money to spend, people that have lives on the line, such as companies, country, not politicians, but like the media, does it matter what they, like their forecast? Cause it's all today, it's moved from, hey, this is what the past said, we're gonna project the future. It's now sort of, they're sort of telling the world what they wanna see. Shouldn't we be reading the tea leaves from people that are actually making decisions? Yes, we we do that as a normal course of analyzing in the way of talking about things. But to to say that ideally the IEA, the UN, 
the 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 NGO leaders of the narrative are or one side of the narrative are not, you know, who cares? I, I think that just isn't political reality. And political reality has to be dealt with as we think about energy policy and putting sound, well thought out, scientifically based, economically based energy policy in in place around the world where, you know, consumers, the electorate, uh, electorate have free will. And so there is a significant influence on the way people think about it and get behind certain ideas that may not be practical if we're trying to make the leap from natural gas to, you know, full wind power and solar power. See how I set you up for that, Mark? Well, you're welcome. Well, and you guys are right. I, I, I thought I thought it, I, I was going to go Roy, Roy McElroy on on Joe LaCava. <laughs> on Joe LaCava. Yeah. No, I was just setting you up for that because I actually do care, but I wanted to see your reaction to that. We do have to take you into consideration. We're on the same side of the table. You, we're you, actually on you both two, sides. You, you two can go get a room. It's okay. <laughs> no, but I think you guys are absolutely right. The other thing we have to do, though, and if I said IEA earlier, I meant IRA. I mean, we have to read our politicians in Washington and figure out, you know, the IRA came in, you know, heavy duty on incentives, almost to the point of this is what we're doing. You know, <clears throat> think Captain <throat> Renault and Casablanca. <throat> Let's just say it's my request. That is a more pleasant word. But do they take it the next step further? I mean, do they Good start question. throwing bands out? I mean, because that's, you know. We, look at Trudeau. You, you already, look at Trudeau in Canada and see how far a, a leader is willing to go you, in terms of. You you already back. have de facto bans in Europe. I drove around as I think you did this summer and was a little surprised to when I uh, got my rental car. They offered me an upgrade because the one I had was not certified or permitted for the uh, ultra low emission zones, <laughs> right? So, as an everyday European, not generalizing about Europe, but just right. making a point. If I can't afford that type of vehicle, and then I'm now restricted from going in those places and driving, I, I can't afford to get to certain places. Is that not a banning uh, kind of here and now that's upon us? No, yeah. I, and I'm 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 here to say I've I've like been won over by my brother Bobby who claims that Bill Gates wants a chip in every one of us, and oil filled rando who. There's a, yeah. You know, and all that. I'm right there. The conspiracy theorists are right. Um, although I was sharing. Humane that has raised over a couple hundred million dollars. And Sam Altman from OpenAI is one of their big backers. They just, uh, they put a, a wearable, AI wearable device on a Naomi Campbell during a fashion, one of the big fashion uh, event. And so uh, this stuff is coming. It's here. So I went on my rant about how we, they want EVs so they can track us. Y'all have heard me do that a million times. And the guy I was talking to said, said, Chuck, do you have a license plate? They can already do that with the license plate. So don't worry, you're behind on that. This and, is true. you know, when I went to Europe this summer, I don't know if this happened in the German airports where you are, we didn't even have to show our passport. It was facial recognition in the uh, Helsinki airport. Everyone knows Chuck. Well, you just you walked in. I'm like, when do I have to show my my passport? And they're like, no, we 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 got you. So you know, I will say this is how. I mean, I was uh, in Europe for the speaking of Ryder Cup since we just finished one. I was at the Ryder Cup in Valderrama in Spain, 
And my dad being as, you know, poor dad, but dad thinks he's going to rent a large car. He picked the large rental car. And we get, we get into Spania, me and, a, and one of his buddies and me. And the car is so small that us three Americans with our luggage couldn't fit into it. And it was the large. <laughs> it was the large. It was like, Europe's been doing this since the beginning of time. For one, it's smaller. The roads are tiny. And, um, you know, in, in the history before we were around, people were smaller. Yeah. Um, so... I think this this trend has been happening for a long, long time. It's just funny now that that it's gotten so politicized. But um, it does. But man, do they drive really fast, and it's they great. Do. The Italians. All man. right, from Vegas, we stayed at the Encore when we were there on our poker excursion. We overlooked the Sphere. Do you guys know about the Sphere? It's creepy. The big eye, man. Yes. The big eye. So James Dolan, uh, Madison Square Garden builds this thing. I think it's supposed to cost one point two billion. It costs two or two and a half, something like this. It's wild. Go Google it. Look look up pictures. Maybe we'll get a picture embedded um, in this video. But anyway, one hundred and sixty thousand speakers, one point two million LED lights the size of hockey pucks, five hundred eighty thousand square feet of programmable lighting. Literally, Nevada Energy had to build a dedicated solar energy field to be able to power this thing, and it's going to come online April of 2027. The Sierra Solar Project with all these batteries, 18,000 square feet. The amount of power it's going to use. 18,000 square feet. I'm sorry, 18,000 seats, arena. Um, That's not very big. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> that is a perfect size venue. <laughs> nice. But I'm just uh, thinking about Rice Stadium speaking well, of. I mean it, there you go. Well, more, this is indoors. More more people can sit in Rice Stadium than have ever attended the university. That's right. That's right. So uh but anyway, so this is the sphere. Have we figured it out? Is it ninety six gigawatts it's gonna use a year? Gigawatt hours of power, I think it's going to use during the year. It's not 150 terawatt it's hours not, per year. It's not that. It's but, a lot. But it's still a lot. And just some comparables on that. That's the same as 533,000 electric vehicles driving 12,000 miles a year would use. It's about the amount of electricity a small town of nine to 10,000 households would use. If we wanted to, at our big slumber party that we need to get rescheduled, we could actually pop 960 million bags of popcorn with that amount of electricity. There you go. And so the reason or, I, okay. or you could buy one day's advertising on the sphere for the low, low price of $450,000. Which, by the way, maybe we start, start a GoFundMe. But uh, anyway, no, the reason I bring this all up is one, just in Vegas and saw it, and it's just spectacular I, I can see it now the chuck job podcast logo with chuck sprawled Me, over, the over the eye over the eye i love that i like that that would be a great birthday gift guys but uh anyway the, uh no but the reason i i bring this up one i saw it it was cool as all get out this weekend was opening weekend you two was there uh, a couple of buddies actually went i'm getting videos it's just stunning it's spectacular that's a lot of freaking power. And maybe this winds up just being a Vegas thing, like whatever. But does this become the standard for music performance venues in the top 
50 or 75 metropolitans in the world. First of all, it is cool. I want to go back to what you said about the, the solar facility. Is that going to completely replace what's powering the sphere now? Is that it's seventy percent? Seventy percent. What, what they talk. About. What's powering it now? What what is? I guess it's the electric the electric grid in Las Vegas. So it's the big dam, and, and so it's hydro. It's hydro. Yeah, but and this isn't even a renewables mm. versus no, hydrocarbon thing. It's just we talk time and time again about the demand for power and what electricity. I, mean, I can keep do arguing for, that is we yeah. keep asking for more and more electronics. I mean, I, look, Houston being you know, the energy capital of the world as it is, we've had an eye for forever. And it's always been, it's been, it's been analog. We've had an eye across the city. You've seen it. I've seen it. He's always watching Dr. Ed Young. Oh, that's right. Second Baptist. He's everywhere. <laughs> He's on every billboard, every, every major artery. You, Dr. Ed is watching Legend. you. And we've had an eye. So when I saw the eye, I was like, Dr. Ed has finally been trumped, but it took 30 years to do it. Well, and I don't even know, <laughs> I don't know Dr. Ed Young, so I don't mean to disparage, but I have heard his biggest, or one of his big disappointments in life is they've never let him into the Houston Country Club. And he supposedly applies every other year. <laughs> <laughs> I need to ask about that one. Yeah, do, do ask about that one. Don't know if that's a true story, but... <clears throat> You know, again, speaking of power gen and all this new st electronic demand, I think you had some tidbits about power generation under development. I did. I did. So a report came out not too long ago. See how I set you up for that? You did. <laughs> wow. I didn't, I didn't get the pre-show notes on this. I'll just sit over here and watch. In eat the my, past eat year, my popcorn in the past popped. year, global capacity and development for coal power plants increased 16%, and oil and gas plants by 13%. So, so coal on a percentage basis is is out um, is leading oil and gas. Now, where is that coming? I mean, so the rest of the world, uh, coal plant capacity has been going down. So, the rest of the world is right now in terms of development is under uh, 200 gigawatts. China, on the other hand, in 2019, their coal plant capacity was around 200 gigawatts themselves. They're now almost doubled. <clears throat> so if you look at coal plants in development, 557 gigawatts are in development today, 204 gigawatts under construction, 260 in pre-construction, 93 gigawatts announced, almost all that in China. Well, we did see, if you remember, when Pakistan unsuccessfully procured LNG cargoes, got no bid right. over the winter, they came out with a policy shift and said, we're going to quadruple our coal-fired generation. So we're going to start to see that in other markets that need energy and the most critical situations and, and power, you know, for their just daily life. And having lived there for a bit of time, I know the reliability of the grid is not, is not great. And so if you start to exacerbate that, you know, that all trickles down and then causes unfortunate and unfavorable political circumstances. So, 
we're we're going to see, I think, an acceleration of that type of pivot if we can't be more constructive, more constructive, yeah. more balanced, fairer, and really uh, cognizant and acknowledging. I think the African Union said basically we're not going to be. Uh, kind of side players in this. We're going to have a primary pace, yeah, place at just, the table. Just, and, it, and if you think about where mm. the 1.9 billion people that will be added to the planet between 2020 and 2050 are going to live, 1.2 billion of those 1.9 billion are going to be in key countries in Africa that are very high population growth that don't have the best power generation and grid reliability situation today. And so if we're not addressing that, practically and proactively, I think these problems just it can't be let their eat cake, let right. them eat cake. It just cannot be because that will not be good. You know, what's wild about mm -hmm. your stats, Kirk, is we use 4 trillion kilowatt hours in the United States of power in 2022. We used more than uh, Africa, I mean, more than China did in 2010. Mm -hmm. They passed us in 2010 and now they use 2X what we use. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a quote. You tell me where it's from. Okay. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. There you go, Sun Tzu, the art of war. So the art of war, which emphasizes the importance of flexibility, creativity, and deception in warfare. So written by a Chinese strategist philosopher. So... Despite the, so, so when I think about the art of war, I think of what's happening right now. China, so one of, the, one of the quotes from this article, despite the coal production, analysts believe China's renewable energy production capacity may help achieve its emission targets possibly ahead of time. Who is totally winning right now? How do they subdue the enemy? We're all trying to get to renewable as fast as possible. No more coal, no more LNG. China, on the other hand, is like, build as many coal plants as fast as you can. Let's get there. And at the same time, we're winning the renewable race. Well, they are winning in terms of the supply chain, but even they're like, our emissions are going to outpace at some point. I'm just like, man, wow. Yeah. What's the uh, traditional greeting in the uh, Chinese army? General, I enjoy your chicken and I yours. <laughs> Mark, close us out with baseball. I sat around and didn't know what to make of all this, so please explain. Last day of the regular season, uh, a week before the Texas Rangers controlled their destiny, um, the Astros and the Mariners had played pretty weak, and I'm talking about the AL West. And so on the last day of the season, <clears throat> after having lost two of three in Seattle, uh, the Rangers dropped a – one nothing shutout yeah. nail biter to the Mariners to then allow the Astros who swept the Arizona Diamondbacks in Phoenix to, based on the tiebreaker, take the division title for the sixth time in seven years in the last six full regular seasons that knocks out 2020, which was the 60-game sprint and then the tournament in Dallas. And so – the the background noise in all this yesterday was kind of fun to listen to and watch. There was complaining about 
by the Rangers broadcasters that the Diamondbacks were not playing their some of their superstars. Well, the Diamondbacks' playoff future had already been decided the night before. They have to jump on a plane and go immediately to Milwaukee and play a three-game wildcard mm-hmm. series against the Brewers. And so preparing for that is really their priority. But the Astros jumped on pretty quickly to a, to an 8 nothing lead and took care of business yesterday. Meanwhile, the Rangers are facing um, George Kirby, who was one of the top starters for the Mariners this year. And he lasted six innings and shut them out for six innings. But then they brought in a succession of none of their high leverage relievers. So young pitchers, one of which had, I think would, was making only his second major league appearance. So you had every opportunity to overcome a one nothing lead uh, with that juggernaut offense that has been most of the Rangers' story, and they couldn't do it. But let's, let's blame everything else outside of our control and not take care of our own business. And so the Astros now have a five-day rest between now and the start of the division series on Saturday at home. Meanwhile, in irony of ironies, the Rangers are having to fly about as far as you can across the continental United States from Seattle to Tampa to take on the Rays, which hold the number one wildcard spot. The winner of that series has to play Baltimore, which has been the best team in the American League this year. And because the Rays had their spot secured, their batting average leader rested yesterday. Meanwhile, Corey Seager went over four for the Rangers, and he dropped out of the batting title lead at the same time. Finally, this is a karma turnabout for 2017 when during Harvey, the Astros asked the Rangers if they could swap home and home series with the Arlington facility because it was impossible to play in Houston right around that time of Hurricane Harvey. The Rangers said no. They had to go to Tampa to play neutral ground series against both the Rangers and then ultimately the New York Mets. So they weren't lending a helping hand to Houston then, and I think it's deliciously ironic that they have to go to Tampa to play the Rays uh, when they could have won the division pretty easily. To finish with a quote from The Art of War, opportunities multiply as they are seized. (laughs) Well done, Stroh. Nice. All right, everybody. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe. Please comment. Please share it with a friend. Glad to have you back. We uh, next, uh, I think Thursday night is the prayer visual for uh, for Colin's prostate, and hopefully we'll have him back next week. <laughs> <laughs>